0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we are completely dependent on you at all times and feel even more dependent as we look at a passage that tells us to love our enemies and gives us very specific um, areas in which we need to be able to lay down our rights to, to love our enemies. And so we pray, Lord, that you would come, that you would give us hearts that are excited about this. We pray, Lord, that you would give us, um, spark our imagination, Lord. Help us to love our, neighbor, our enemies creatively. Uh, Lord, instead of plotting payback and, and thinking of ways that we've been wronged, Lord, we pray that we would plot to bless. Lord, make us that kind of people this morning. This is something you can completely do. And we pray for those that are here, Lord, that may not know you yet, Lord. We pray that you would transform them this morning from those who are outside of your kingdom, to those who are your beloved sons and daughters. And we pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, so here we are in Matthew 5. If you need a Bible, just put your hand up and and somebody will give you one. But um, I wanted to just uh, at first start by saying uh, that I really appreciate you guys' love for God's word. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is not easy. Okay, it's when I I knew that when I picked it as we're kind of going through it, I knew there would be some passages that are very challenging, very difficult. And just the fact that you continue to want to return more and more. To, to try to learn to live the things that Christ has commanded here. I mean, God wants to transform us in these areas. But we've, we've talked about anger, we've talked about lust, we've talked about divorce, we've talked about keeping our word, and now this morning we're going to be here talking about um, loving our enemies. And it's just an evidence of God's grace in your life that you're like, okay, you know, I want to hear more of that. And so um, take a look at verse Verse uh, 38. It says, "You have heard that it was said an eye and an eye for and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you." Now, this idea of an eye and eye and a tooth for a tooth is in the Old Testament three times. And you might get the idea that somehow Jesus is uh, contradicting the Old Testament. He's saying, "You've heard this, but I say this." He's not actually contradicting the Old Testament here. He's contradicting the way that the religious leaders of that day had softened God's law. And I'm going to show you how, how that was done in just a little bit. But first, let's look at this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, the Latin term for it is lex talion. It means law of retribution. And it sounds barbaric, right? I mean, disagree with me. A, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth sounds super barbaric. And it really freaks me out. I'm like a complete dental phobe, okay? Like, I still have my wisdom teeth at 42 and should have gotten rid of them a long time ago. Um, I go in for my every six month thing, but I'm terrified. I have to write a little note in my calendar that says, actually, you like it with a little smiley face because my dental hygienist is really cool and she's really nice to me and stuff like that. It's all good, but it's scary. So when I hear like knocking people's teeth out, it's super freaky to me. Okay. It's super freaky. But we have to consider guys, why did this law come through Moses in the first place? This eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It came in to solve a problem. Ancient times, guys, before the law of Moses, was lawless. People took the law into their own hands. Excessive retribution was common. Uh, You know the natural impulse. You know, you slap me, I punch you. You stab me, I shoot you, right? That's the way human beings work. You guys remember Lamech in in Genesis 4? This is the great-great-grandson of Cain, the first murderer. You remember him bragging to his wives about how he's even badder than Cain? He said to his wives, he gathered his two wives together, and he goes, Listen, wives of Lamech, I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And he goes on to talk about how, you know, if, if Cain's going to be avenged sevenfold, Lamech, he says, I'm going to be avenged 77-fold. This guy's like total monster, right? But that's the way it was. It was retribution like crazy. So when the Old Testament brought in this idea of lex talion, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it did two things that were super important. One is it put retribution in the hands of judges, a system of judges. So instead of like a victim going and trying to seek their own vengeance, judges had control of this. They would hear what had happened and they would give a a sentence for it. That's a huge improvement, okay? It's a huge improvement to have judges instead of vengeful victims. It's a huge improvement to have legal sentences instead of revenge. The second thing that Lex Talion did was that it made sure that the punishment was proportional to the crime, right? So an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So you couldn't get killed for knocking out someone's eye. And you couldn't lose all your teeth for knocking out some dude's tooth, okay? And so it put it in the hands of judges, and it gave them directions to say, make it proportional, right? And over time, these penalties actually transitioned to be more financial fines. So they figured out, like, okay, what exactly is an eye worth, you know? And they started fining people instead of gouging eyes out and punching teeth out. But it was still about keeping it proportional, guys. The scales of justice must be balanced. You know, scale, a little thing, two little... Too little. You know, right? you got to balance the scales of justice. If there's, if there's a sin, then there needs to be punishment on the other side to bring it back up again. The scales have to be balanced. And so in the Old Testament law, no mercy was shown, but there wasn't any excessive punishment either. So this is an improvement, right? Judges would make sure that the scales of justice got balanced, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Fast forward 2,000 years later, Jesus comes on the scene, and the religious leaders, what they were doing to soften God's law is interesting Instead of having lex talion be something that judges do, the religious leaders were allowing the people to believe they could do it, okay? So this idea of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth was something that they said, oh, did somebody poke your eye out? Well, you can poke theirs out. Did they knock your tooth out? Go ahead and knock out one of theirs, right? And this is very appealing, guys, to people that want revenge, right? Right? It's very appealing. When we're hurt, our angry reflex is to act as judge, jury, and executioner. We want to pay back. And the religious leaders were saying, yeah, go for it. Just make it equal. Right? You see how they're softening God's law? This Lex Talion idea was never supposed to be for individuals to use in their personal relationships. This was meant to be dealt with by judges. So Jesus says, they say, go for it. Go ahead and get your revenge. Just make it equal. But Jesus says in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye and eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Okay, that last part, do not resist the one who is evil, has caused a lot of controversy over the last, you know, centuries, several centuries. Um, Some people have wrongly thought from that verse that Jesus is forbidding us from opposing any injustice or stopping evil and evildoers, you know? Do not resist the one who is evil, that we shouldn't do anything about, people that want to do evil things in the world, right? The problem is it's being taken out of context, and I'll show you that in a second, the most famous person that I can think of that had this view was the Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy, right? So Tolstoy believed that Jesus was teaching in this passage that um, we're to be completely passive about evil and evildoers. He said, you know, the Bible says, "Do not resist the one who is evil." And so he believed that this verse prohibited um, police, prohibited soldiers, it prohibited even us from trying to stop somebody from committing a crime. It's complete passivism, right? To which the burglars of his day said hey, bro, where do you live, right? They're like, I'd like to know your address. And so um, what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that. And we know that from the rest of scripture. I mean, Romans 13 talks about that the government's been given for our good as a servant of justice. It doesn't carry the sword in vain. Um, it says in Romans 13 that, that the government is a servant from God to avenge against evildoers. Like that's what God's word says about the government that it has that role to maintain order, police and things like that. Um, In Luke 3, when soldiers come to John the Baptist and they say, hey, now that we believe the gospel, what do we do? These are Roman soldiers. He doesn't say, well, you gotta stop being a soldier. What does he say? He says, do not extort money from anyone by threat or false accusation. Be content with your wages. He says, live as an ethical soldier. And so in no way is the scriptures saying that we need to be totally passive about evil in this passage. And we know that from the context, too. Check it out. If you look at verse 38 through 42, notice in there, there's two buts, and I'll highlight them as we go through. But Jesus is saying, even from the context, he's not saying that we should allow evil people to do whatever they want. Take a look at it. And it's important, guys, because verses don't exist kind of on their own, right? They're in a context. We need to read the context. This is what it says. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Okay? So that first but is connecting to what was going on before, right? About retaliation. So we know that do not resist the one who is evil is about not retaliating. Right? And then the next one. But, okay, this next thing is an explanation but if anyone slaps you on the right chink, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone would force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who begs and do not refuse the one who borrows from you. Guys, there's no mention in this passage of military service or police or somehow allowing certain groups in our society to be oppressed by others and not step in. It doesn't say anything about that, right? Um, it's saying something far more challenging. It's telling us how to deal with people in our everyday lives, okay? So you can take this passage and we can talk all about pacifism and all this stuff, or we could say, what does Jesus want us to do in our everyday lives um, with people who are causing us pain? And Jesus is calling us, guys, as as his students, to learn how to be the kind of people that would lay down our rights to love our enemies. It'd be challenging, you ready? Are you willing? You might say, well, yeah, of course I'm willing. Luckily, Jesus offers us a four-point test to see if you're willing. And we're going to do that. We're going to look at the slap, the lawsuit, the second mile, and the beggar. And it's really important, guys, that we grow in this because our culture is becoming increasingly non-Christian. I think it's going to continue to do that. And we need to switch from kind of a right-seeking posture. That's what evangelicals are known for. We're known for kind of fighting for our rights and things like that. We need to switch from that posture to more of a missionary-servant-type posture. We are not here to take back the culture. We're here to serve the lost as missionaries. And I'm afraid we're just not known for that right now. But Jesus wants to help us with that. One other thing I want to mention before we start is that it's super important that you believe you have enemies. Okay? Okay. Because a lot of you guys, I can imagine you guys thinking, well, I don't have any enemies. I wouldn't really call anybody my enemy, right? It's super important that you understand that when he talks about enemies here, he's not just talking about, you know, somebody you have a feud with or ISIS or something really dramatic, right? He's talking about people in your everyday life. You might be a person that says, oh, I don't really have enemies. Everybody loves me and I love everybody. You're like, you know, the whale shark, you know, you have no natural enemies, right? Like that's me. I don't have any enemies. I'm fine. and Stuff like that. Jesus here is talking about something far less dramatic than some super sinister people that we're to love. Take a look at the four examples. You've got the slap, right? You've got the the lawsuit. Those are real easy to see that those are real clear enemies. And then you have the um, extra mile. That's kind of when I show it to you, you can see how that'd be an enemy. What's the last one? Dude wants your money, right? Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you have any change? Do you have any money? Can you help me out? That's listed in the list of enemies. So when Jesus is talking about people that we're to love as enemies, it's who we perceive as enemies. How do you guys feel when you're in the flesh and somebody comes up to you and asks for money? Mmm. somebody said. (laughs) That feeling, okay, that feeling you have, anybody that causes that feeling is an enemy you're called to love. Okay, so it's not just these dramatic examples. It's anyone in your life that's making your life difficult, somebody that's causing you pain, somebody that's giving you that same feeling that you described with a sound effect, right? Okay, this might be your boss. This might be a customer, a client. This might be your neighbor. Chesterton said, you know, that Jesus has called us to love our our neighbors and our enemies because a lot of times they're the same person, right? (laughs) I love my neighbors. we got great neighbors. Um, Some of them are doing children's ministry right now, so we love them even more. But Jesus here, when he gives this four-point test, he's saying to love those kinds of people. And so I want you to apply this broadly because if you go into this saying, I don't have any enemies, it's a way of dodging this teaching entirely. It's a way of applying it to somebody somewhere else that has some really sinister enemies. So as we go through these, look and think to yourself, what are my sticking points? What am I not willing to lay down? What do I need to repent of? Where am I not willing to lay my rights down to love? Look at the first one, verse 39. The first one is, will you lay down your honor? Take a look at verse 39. It says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Guys, Jesus is not saying here that we can't defend our lives, okay? A lot of times people use this and say, well, this says we can't do self-defense and we can't, like, defend our lives. Nobody dies from being slapped twice, okay? That's not what this is about in context. This is about being insulted. It's a great insult in our culture, too, but in their culture as well. And especially to be slapped on the right cheek, right? He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, I need somebody close to me to do this, and everybody's so far away, and I need specifically a dude. But if I'm going to slap Jim, and most people are right-handed dominant, that's the way it's always been. Human beings kind of wired that way most of the time. You're left-handed, you're special, okay? But if I'm going to slap Jim, and I'm going to slap him with my right hand like this, what cheek do I hit? I hit his left cheek. What do I have to do to hit his right cheek? Backhanded slap, right? In that culture, that was worse than being slapped the regular way, okay? In fact, there were fines in some of the religious literature about, like, if you slap somebody, what was the fine for that? It was double if you backhanded slapped them, okay? So this is a severe insult, guys. In our culture, even a couple hundred years ago, if a dude slapped another dude like that, what happened next? A duel, right? Like, we had presidents that did that, right? So that was a normal thing. Jesus says here, though... He says that his students must be prepared to lay down their honor to love their enemies. It's hard to do, right? Have you experienced some deep insult to your honor? You've been insulted in some way, talked about in some way, and God is calling you, God is calling you to turn the other cheek to. What does it mean, turn the other cheek? It means allow them to do it again, okay? So will you lay down your honor? Secondly, will you lay down your property? Look at verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In Jesus' time, people wore two main articles of clothing. They'd wear the tunic, which was just like a shirt, and then they would wear the cloak, which went on over it. And the cloak, actually, um, in legal terms, they were not allowed to sue you for your cloak. They could actually sue you for your shirt, but they could not sue you for your cloak because the cloak was used also as a blanket. It was what kept you warm at night. And so in the Old Testament law, you couldn't take someone's cloak for any period of time because that was the way they stayed warm at night. And so what Jesus is saying is, if someone were to sue you for something they can legally take from you, throw in something that they could not get from you legally. Isn't that intense? Jesus is saying that we should be willing to deprive ourselves of basic comforts if needed. And I think these things need to be applied creatively. I'm not saying that like... These, things, these are principles that you need to apply creatively in your life, if needed, to show love for your, na- for your enemies. And I don't think he's saying that every time that you're sued, you have to ha- also have to sign over your house, but would you? If there was a situation where the most appropriate way to love your enemy was to also throw in more of your property, would you do it? And this is challenging to us as Americans, guys. We live in a culture that's very rights-oriented. We don't hand over anything we don't have to, right? And Jesus is saying, I have, a, I have a great example of this. I have a client that I used to have. He was in Duluth, you know, a really nice area there. And I, I'm a horse vet, and I was arriving there to do some dentistry on their horse. And the way we do that is they, they get these sharp points on their teeth, and you take a power tool. This is great for a dental phobe, right? I don't mind doing it to them. But you take this power tool, and you grind down the sharp edges that grow on their teeth so they can chew better. And so I arrive there up at his house, really nice house. I pull up. I'm kind of looking for the horse. I'm walking around. I notice on the side yard of his house, there's like tons of generators. And it's obviously like a generator graveyard, you know? I don't know what's going on with all these generators, right? And then I go, hey, I need to plug this thing in. Where do I plug in? He's like, oh, I'll grab a generator. And I'm like, no, no, I got an extension cord. We'll just plug in. And he goes, that's all the power we have up here. This is like this super nice house. And all he's got is generators, like tons of broken ones and everything. And he goes, yeah, we run our whole house just with generators. And I'm like, what do you do in the summer? Like, you can't run AC on a generator. And he's like, yeah, it's a real challenge. And so... <laughs> Later on, I found out that what was going on here was that while he was building his house, there was a dispute with a neighbor over how his power would go through the property between them. And there was this dispute, it was going to have to go to court for him to be able to hook up his electric- electricity. And this guy's a disciple of Jesus, so what he decided to do, God led him to do this, was instead of suing the guy or something like that, he decided to just wait it out and hope that his neighbor would change his mind. So for years, guys, this guy hauled gasoline. Fired up generators. Can you imagine in the morning getting up and you want to like do something, you gotta fire up a generator? Like, this is a hassle, this is no way to live. And I I keep emphasizing this was an amazing house. It just needed electricity, which is a major flaw. Okay. And so um, eventually, though, over time, his neighbor did you know break down and feel terrible about it. I've heard about this later. And it offered the guy an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with this guy. Because he was like, Man, I feel so bad about what I put you through. I don't know what broke him finally. And, um, and he was able to share the gospel with this guy. And I actually ran into him like a year ago. He was doing the sound for a wedding that I was doing. And I asked him about it. He's like, oh, yeah, we have power now. <laughs> it was just amazing. Guys, would you be willing to hand over some possessions, some rights to end a conflict, to show love for an enemy, maybe to have one less enemy in your life? The writer of Hebrews said this about the early Christians. He was writing to them and he said, You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, knowing that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. Talking about his future hope. Will you lay down your control? Look at verse 41. It says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them 2 like, this has become an expression, you know, go the extra mile and stuff like that. Well, what it was in Roman times is the Roman soldiers who were an occupying force, which the Jews hated, the Roman uh, officers, the Roman soldiers, could make somebody carry something. So if they wanted to take something like 10 miles, they'd just grab a dude and say, it's you this time, hand you the stuff, you'd have to walk with them for a mile, and then it's like a relay race, right? Then it's like, they arrive to the place, probably everybody scatters, they're like, oh, Marcella's carrying something, let's scare him. And then you go, okay, you, and he hands it to you, and they would just relay things. They could get things as far as you wanted to, you just grab one guy each mile, right? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying when that burden's put upon you to go a mile, that you should go a second mile voluntarily. Think about this. How long would it take to carry something heavy a mile? What do you guys think? Thoughts? Longer than, it would run it. Longer than it would to run it. Okay, let's say 15 minutes or something. You gotta walk back. <laughs> you gotta walk back to where you started. If you go a second mile, you gotta walk back two more miles. You walked four miles at that point. And Jesus is saying here that we should... Um, allow ourselves to be inconvenienced by enemies and, and give them even more time than they asked for. And you can imagine the surprise of a Roman soldier if one of Jesus' disciples says, they get to that end mile part, they haven't been complaining the whole time, they maybe been engaging the guy as they walk, and then he goes, you know what? I'm good with going another mile if you want me to just go. It'd be surprising, right? There'd be opportunities to share Christ. This would have been extremely difficult for certain followers of Jesus, particularly the zealots, There were people that hated the Roman government, that were about armed overturning of the government, and some of them came to follow Jesus when they heard the message of the kingdom. This would have been extremely difficult. Guys, this is extremely difficult for us. You know what the term is for this? One of the ways this could happen is a term you don't like, government intervention, okay? Hassling you, regulations. What are we known for? Are we known for complaining about these things, or are we known for bearing these things with grace? Um, I feel this a lot of times, guys. I feel this a lot of time at work. I'm a little bit of freak about time management. You know, um, I have a certain set idea about how long each appointment should take. Uh, I want my client to be ready, holding the horse, ready to go, right? They go out, they wander around, they can't catch him, they start laughing about it, and I'm just like, (laughs) I'm gonna kill them, you know, right? And I'm a freak about that because I'm trying to do a whole bunch of things and stuff like that. And sometimes I'll start to see some of these clients as enemies, right? As enemies to my progress, right? As time obstacles in my way. But guys, it's amazing what God has done when the times when i would slow down and walk with them the extra mile and just assume that God has something good to do in this moment, you know? I'm spending more time with this person. I'm saying when that happens... God does amazing things in that. So where is God calling you to give up control to somebody and say, you know what? I'd like to go an extra mile with you. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's an in-law. Maybe you have a super subpar friend that's borderline enemy that you need to go an extra mile with. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a client. Last one. Will you lay down your money? Look at verse 42. Give to the one who begs you. And do not receive the one who borrows from you. It's kind of funny that this is in the list. I mean, like I said, that this is in a list of enemies. But remember back to how you feel when you're in the flesh and somebody asks you for money, you feel like they're an enemy. And what Jesus is saying here is that we need to be willing to lay down that right. The reason why you feel that feeling is you feel like, well, I have a right to my own money. And they're asking you to lay down one of your rights. Guys, the early church was known for compassion to the poor. Do you guys realize this? Like, this is one of the ways. Those first few hundred years were a time when the, the Rome was completely opposed to Christianity, was killing Christians like crazy. But the word of our compassion to the poor was the talk of the Roman Empire. There's a really cool letter that um, the 4th century Roman Emperor um, Julian, who was called Julian the Apostate, so this is not a nice guy, right? In his letter, he complained about Christians, and he complained about how they were making so much progress in the Roman Empire. And he said it was through their benevolence to strangers. This is somebody that hates him. You know, it's because they're benevolent to strangers. He said it's because of their care for the graves of the dead. Christians were known for actually providing decent burial for other people that weren't even Christians. And that was some of the great way to be able to show compassion to people. Um, And for the support of not only their own poor, but ours as well. He's like, we need to step it up. They're conquering through taking care of the poor. Guys, we're probably going to have an opportunity in the next few months. We had a group and we were talking about this the other night of some sort of compassion ministry we might be able to do in our area, especially among seniors. this area, we have a huge amount of seniors, not very far from here. Many of them I've heard from a friend of mine who's a police officer that when he goes to do like well checks and stuff, many of them are, are, are basically starving. They're starving in loneliness. They don't have a lot of the things they need and they're just kind of withering. And we need to think about how we can do this. So we're gonna get a group together to kind of discuss and research and figure out what we can do. Jesus is calling us guys to indiscriminate generosity. Indiscriminate generosity. Think about that. Think about the way you think when somebody asks you for something. What do you think? Oh, he's only gonna use it on this, right? Oh, I know what he's about. Jesus is calling us to indiscriminate generosity. If he makes makes you feel better, bring some gift cards with you around, you know, to McDonald's or something like that if you don't wanna give people cash, but he's calling us to indiscriminate generosity. Look at verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who borrows from you. So how did you do on the four-point test? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, the things Jesus has called us to are, they seem so extreme, but you know what? When you think about them, they seem so right too. You know, do you struggle with laying down your honor? Do you struggle with laying down your property? Do you struggle with control? Do you struggle with uh, laying down your money? But wait, There's more. Look at verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's the crazy thing. Jesus isn't just calling you to loving actions. He's calling you to have love for your enemies. You think, whoa, I mean, I could probably manage to do some of these actions. I could probably manage not to retaliate, but to love, he's calling us to love our enemies from the heart. Look at this verse here. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not even a verse in the Old Testament. So, okay. So the beginning part is certainly in the Old Testament. But there's no verse that says, love, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I mean, that'd be super easy. To do. This is another example of those religious leaders kind of softening it. Hey, if you just love the people, that your neighbor, and we'll define that real narrowly, of people you like, we'll get a little huddle together. You love those people, you can just hate all the rest, right? But Jesus is saying that we need to love our enemies, and we need to pray for those who persecute us. And you might say, like, I might be able to not retaliate. I might be able to do some of these loving things. But, man, I cannot bring myself to love this person. Of course you can it's supernatural. That's the point of verse 46. Check it out. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only, those, only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Guys, anyone can do that. That's called natural, quote unquote, love, right? That's the you scratch my back, I scratch your back kind of worldly love, right? That you're going to do things for people that um, do things for you. But Jesus is calling us, guys, to something supernatural, a change of heart, that we would have true love for those who not only don't love us, but want to harm us. It's amazing. This is supernatural. How do we pursue it? Because, guys, I think we can pursue all these things. I'll just tell you right up front. I don't think, you know, someone once said that, you know, the, the Bible hasn't been, and hasn't been tried and found wanting, right? It's been found hard and not tried, right? And, and a lot of these are those kinds of things, right? Guys, these things can be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. I really believe, guys, and I wouldn't even have done this series if I didn't believe, that Jesus wants to actually show us how to do all the things he's commanded by the power of the Spirit. We can actually pursue these things. So I want to give you real quickly, how do we pursue love for our enemies? Because to just leave you there is kind of cruel, right? Like, yeah, it's supernatural. You can't do it. All right, see you. Have a good day. Right? He actually shows us how to pursue it. Look at the first one. The first one is pray for your enemy. How do you develop love for an enemy? First one is pray for him. Look at verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Have you guys tried this? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. Isn't that interesting? Have you tried this? Have you tried actually thinking of somebody in your life, somebody you resent, somebody that resents you, an enemy, and praying for them on a regular basis, praying that God would reveal himself to them, praying that they would be blessed, pray that they would find hope and joy in Christ? It works. How many of you guys could say it works? You guys have done it. You've done it, you've done it. Some of you have done it. This is something you really need to try. Pray for them. Secondly, imitate your father's gift giving. Look at verse 44. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust. So we want to imitate our father's gift giving. And this term, the theological term for this is common grace. And it's the idea that God gives his gifts in this life, he gives his gifts indiscriminately, both to those who deserve it and don't deserve it. He gives it to the just and the unjust. He gives it to those who are his children and those who are his enemies. Guys, unlike Santa Claus, okay, unlike Santa Claus, God gives his gifts indiscriminately. He doesn't have like this list, the naughty and the nice list in this life. He's giving his gifts. He causes the sun to shine on them, the rain to come down on them. And sometimes that bothers us, right? We think like, this is an evil person. Why is this person being blessed? God gives his gifts indiscriminately in this life. And Jesus is saying that we can copy our Father by giving gifts indiscriminately. Think about that during this season. It's Christmas time, right? I want to give you a challenge for Christmas time. You guys have a list of certain people you buy for? Buy for at least one enemy. Could you do that? Okay, and I don't want, I want you to do the one that you just thought of and said, no, no, not that one. Okay? Yeah, I know. I'm not a mind reader. I'm just evil too. So the one you thought of, the most challenging one, the one that most easily fits this definition and buy something for them. I have three. None of them are in this room, just so you know. But I have three. Buy them something nice. Buy them something they would definitely want. Not a token gift, right? Buy a gift for an enemy you'll be duplicating exactly what Jesus is saying here. He says, "He says so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. Indiscriminate giving. Romans 12 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For so by doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And then listen to this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If I'm... You know we had the Operation Christmas Child? It's Operation Christmas to an enemy, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, Operation Christmas enemy. <laughs> <laughs> so pray for your enemies, imitate the fa- your father's gift giving, and then very lastly, be rocked by God's gift to you. Look at verse 48. Did you notice how this thing ends? Was it concerning? Verse 48 says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Did that? You were kind of like, ooh, this is kind of challenging, and then you get to that one, and you're like, ooh, that sounds really rough. Right? Guys, God's law demands perfection. You guys remember Lex Talion? Lex Talion said that the, the scales of justice must be balanced. You know, we have sinned against God. When that sin occurs... There's a balancing of the scales of justice it must have. Every sin must be punished. God's law requires perfection. That's the way the law works, guys. The law doesn't give mercy. The law says, show no mercy, balance the scales, right? And God's law requires that that, that punishment, like helion says, be proportional, right? Be proportional to the crimes we've done. Guys, what is the proportional penalty for somebody who has sinned against God and rejected the whole meaning for what, for, for what they were made? What is the proportional penalty for rejecting the whole reason you were made? You think about that? Like, before we came to Christ, or for some of you that are not in Christ now, like, your, your, your sin before God is that you've rejected the whole reason you were created, And just like Common Grace talks about, like, he caused your heart to beat, he causes the rain, he causes the sun, he's fed you, he's nourished you, he's kept you alive, and you've continued for your whole life to reject the very purpose for which he made you. John Wesley said this, he said, there is no little sin because there is no little God to sin against. And so the gospel, guys, the gospel offers us the mercy the law never could. Law can't give mercy right? The law says, show no mercy, balance the scales. You sinned, here's your punishment. The gospel says, show mercy, I've already balanced the scales for them. is that awesome? That's what the gospel's about, guys. God balanced the scales of justice for us. How did he do it? He did it through Christmas, right? He did it through Christmas. God gave us, his enemies, the gift of his son, And it's so cool I did it. I mean, when you think about Christmas, it's crazy. Think about this. God comes in on a rescue mission, right? He wants to rescue us from the penalty of our sin. And he comes in here. And this is clearly enemy territory, this world, right? How does he drop in? He drops in behind enemy lines, unarmed, as a baby. Okay, that's the craziest mission ever, right? Like, I'm going to... And what happened right away? Tried to kill him, right? You remember this story. And tried to kill him right off the bat. I mean, there was a slaughter of infants trying to get this guy, trying to get him. He dropped in behind enemy lines, unarmed as a baby. Jesus came to do for his enemies, for us, everything he's teaching in this sermon. At the cross, we see Jesus loving his enemies by laying his life down. He laid down his honor, he laid down his property, he laid down his control, and he laid down his riches. He laid down his honor in that he was, allowed himself to be slapped and mocked. Isaiah 50 says of his beard pulled out his property in that he was stripped naked. Remember, they gambled for his tunic, right? He's stripped naked on the cross of all of his property. He, he gave up his control. Remember, he was forced to carry his cross. And you know, we don't know how far, as far as he could before he collapsed. And he gave up his riches. You guys remember him freely giving mercy to that begging thief on the cross? Here he is in the hour of his greatest agony. And, and what's going on? There's some guy next to him that wants to beg from him. What does he say? It's all yours. He says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Guys, this is not passive about evil. <laughs> this is active love to conquer evil. And this will change the world. As Christmas is about a gift. It's about a gift that's bloody and painful and promises us an amazing future. That's what Christmas is about. I had a conversation with a guy this week, and... He's a single guy, and we were just talking about loneliness and a bunch of other things, depression, all these kind of things he's wrestling with. We're having a great conversation about it, and he said, You know, it's just harder this time of year. You know, it's just, it's way harder this time of year. And he goes, I know in the next few weeks, it's gonna get harder. You know, it compounds my loneliness. And I talked to him about how some ways that we could get him connected with some people, and he did, which is cool. But I said, You know, even more than that, like, let me tell you what Christmas points to, this season that's so hard. It points to a perfect world coming, guys. A perfect world that your first day there, you know what's going to happen? All your depression, all your anxiety, all the wrong inclinations of your heart are going to melt away. You're no longer going to wrestle with the inside of you. You're no longer not going to be able to love people the way that you want to love them because you know all the garbage in your heart It's going to melt away. We're going to live in a perfect community, guys, centered around Jesus. How would you like to live in this kind of perfect community you know, living situation on a new earth, remade in new bodies in a community where Jesus is the king. And he's gonna give us like meaningful work to do, guys. Meaningful work and creative things and artistic things to do. And we'll grow and we'll explore and we'll conquer our environment, you know, for Jesus. We'll explore it and enjoy it. And we'll get to know more and more about him every single day. Cool thing about the new world is gonna be your joy's gonna increase constantly, You know why? Because every time you discover something new about God, you get that little tick of joy. You're probably feeling it right now. You're like, oh, that's a good feeling. Every time you see something new about Christ and who he is, you get that little uptick of joy. That's going to happen forever because God has eternal, everlasting, inexhaustible, infinite glories to see. You don't show up and go, oh, I saw him. What else is there to do here, right? But there's this unfolding of who he is in the new world, and we're going to enjoy him. And I was talking to him about all this, and he was like, why can't we just do that now? (laughs) You ever feel that way? And I was like, man, that's what we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's coming. It's coming. Guys, this is a gift that Jesus is offering indiscriminately today to anyone who will come as a beggar. It's not about coming and getting maybe a loan from him and get on a repayment plan of works or something. It's not about that. This is something you can't repay. This is a gift he gives indiscriminately. You come like the thief on the cross came with no other options. And you say, you say, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the gift of your son. And we pray that we would not miss it. Lord, we've got strategies not to miss it. You know we're. We're focusing on it here at church, Lord, where a lot of us are doing Advent at home, and we're really struggling not to miss the gift, the gift of your son. And we just pray, Lord, that you would give us um, just great enjoyment this season, who you are and what you're doing. We love you so much. And we pray as we take communion, Lord, and we worship you, that our hearts would just be full as we leave, Lord full of joy for you, full of the joy that conquers sin and makes us generous, makes us the kind of people that wanna lay down our rights. Lord, I think right now, I think we could all agree that we do not feel the need right now to balance the scales of justice with our enemy right now after we saw what you did to balance them for us. We pray you just continue that work in our hearts. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.